So, Marshall, I feel like I have reached adulthood status when my car insurance website shows up on screen time. Oh, God, that's terrible. <gasps> Two yeah. claims in one week. Ugh. Both, not my fault. Okay. Both hit and run, Ugh. just you know, hit my car when it was street parked. Uh-huh. First time, no dash cam. Second time, got dash cam. Mm. And man, it's just... It's hilarious to see people clearly fuck up and then just drive away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, just own your mistakes, people. Welcome to episode 429 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing? Aside from the busted up car, apparently. Uh, I mean, the car stuff is annoying, but this is why we have car insurance. And luckily, mine, my provider has a decent enough website and good enough claim flow that it's not too big of a headache. Anyways, life outside of that is good. But man, busy. I would say this week has been way more intense than normal. I feel like I have something every night. Like every hour has something going on. Which is exciting, but a little bit overwhelming. How are you? Pretty good. I'm glad I don't have something every hour, but it feels like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just one of those weeks. Just one of those days. One of those days. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Alrighty. Huge shout out to Zeppelin. Zeppelin made the show possible this week. Zeppelin helps you clarify your design intentions with a new feature that they call Flows and Annotations. It's a faster way to map complete user journeys and document your designs. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash Zeppelin. That's Z-E-P-L-I-N. Zeppelin is more than just specs. Get started for free to see why. That's designdetails.fm slash Zeppelin. Thank you, Zeppelin. Thanks, Zeppelin. New Vips. Welcome to the fam this week. Huge shout outs to Kevin Bennett, Chris Carbo, Eric, Paula Ojansu, Tom Phillips, That Sid, Max, Anthony Despezio, and XJ Lou. Hey. XJ. That's a that's pretty cool. You know, there's like TJ and JT letter names, you know mm-hmm, what I'm talking mm-hmm, about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. XJ, I think that's new. I don't know if I've encountered that one. XJ. Yeah. That sounds like a like a Jeep. <laughs> I think you're thinking of like FJ, like the FJ Cruiser. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely it was evocative. Yeah, there you go. Well, and actually, Anthony Despezio, hopefully I'm saying that right, is one of the people I've talked to from Figma. Oh. Thanks for joining. Hopefully you're listening. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, Figma is, I would say, one of the companies we talk about more often. Yeah, Figma and Apple probably the most, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, all right. Welcome. Welcome to the fam, everybody. Yeah, welcome, everybody. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, meaning every week listeners from around the world gather at a little place we like to call Patreon. Everyone else likes to call it that, yeah, too. Because say, that's like, we're the not the only the ones company. that call it that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, Patreon is a thing that exists on the internet, and we live at patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. By the way, we got a DM from Justin appreciating how much we appreciated the pun. Two weeks worth. For just a buck a month. Uh, you get access to bonus episodes every week. We call the bonus episode the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is just an extra juicy little bit of content. Today, in the spirit of the Super Bowl recently passed, we're doing a deep dive into the design of, well, maybe we won't spoil the name, but you know the little little scorecard that sort of floats on top of the, the game when you're watching a football game or, or most sports games? 
Well, that has a name and Marshall has done a deep dive and we're going to talk all about the design history of that little nubbin. So if you want to hear that and you want to get access to bonus episodes, uh, the whole backlog, as well as bonus episodes going forward every week, head to patreon.com slash design details and sign up. We appreciate it. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Okay, Marshall, quick bit of follow-up. We got some tweets from... I believe one or two episodes ago, we're talking about senior designers and the expectations as you grow within an organization. We heard from Brandon Schmidtling on Twitter says, senior designers talk to other designers and creatives in their field. They have dialogues with their peers at other organizations and across industries. A stretch signal might be senior designers share their conversations and bring the outside in to their team or organization. Just something I've been thinking about lately, which I agree. I like this. Yeah, it's like, you know, you get to the point where you're comfortable enough with your day-to-day work that you can kind of peer outside the org, keep up with trends, what's happening in the broader industry, maybe keep an eye on competitors, design patterns. You're the kind of person who reads the HIG and like checks for the updates every year. And like that kind of stuff might be a sign of somebody who's growing. And then when you bring that in back into the organization and can teach other people, that's a, a good sign of leadership. Totally agree. We also heard on Twitter from Stevie Roger, who commented on last week's episode about micromanaging. Stevie says, we have a weekly team show and tell slash idea sharing and collectively doesn't feel like I'm being micromanaged. I've learned more from others' guidance and it never feels like micromanaging. This has been endlessly useful as I move into more senior roles. Yeah, weekly show and tell and idea sharing. That's like a nice way to bring a group together, talk about design and maybe have it feel a little bit less intense than like a one-on-one where you're pointing out issues with someone's design, even if they're minor issues. Mm -hmm. Just the group setting can kind of diffuse the perhaps power structure of a manager setting up a one-on-one to go through your Figma file. So I like this tweet from Stevie. Thanks for for applying. Yeah, good feedback. Okay, well, we have a main topic this week. This one comes to us anonymously through our DMs. Yeah, and just a reminder, if you DM us, we're going to assume that you want to be anonymous unless you specify otherwise. So anonymous asks... I recently started a new job at Meta as a product designer towards the end of last year. Onboarding virtually has been way more challenging than I thought it'd be. It's harder to grasp a culture, meet people, and get on board with a project, etc. So, mm. less of a question, more of an observation. More of a statement. Topic. But yeah, how do we how do we deal with virtual onboarding <laughs> yeah, when that's the norm now? I got to say, Marshall, you know, we're just 2 years deep in this, which means so many people have left and started new jobs totally remotely and have never met their coworkers in person. And I just feel so lucky that I joined GitHub before the pandemic. I joined in 2018. I just can't, man, like those relationships I built in those first couple of years, like they really matter and they've held up and made me feel connected to people at my company. But joining somewhere remotely, that has got to be a struggle. And so, you know, we can talk about this topic. I came up with a few ideas, of just like general things I've observed being on the other side of having, you know, new people join our team remotely. Uh, but we also turn to the tweets. I asked Twitter for people's experience doing remote onboarding and got some ideas. So if anyone else out there uh, is currently remote onboarding or perhaps is in a position where they're hiring and bringing people onto their team uh, remotely, maybe there's something in here for you. So here's where I was able to sort of bring it back to some of my own experience. You know, you join a company and you don't know anybody and you might not have a chance to meet everybody in person. And if you squint extra hard, it kind of reminded me of when I onboarded at Facebook. Like Facebook is a huge company. 
And there's people spread out all around the world. There's designers in lots of different cities. And one thing that I did in my time there, which was really valuable, I just met so many cool people, was I got really intentional about setting aside time to meet people. It kind of faded over time, but certainly in those first few months, I was pretty rigorous. I was almost setting a quota of, you know, I want to meet this many people. A lot of them are people who I followed on Twitter or looked up to in the industry. And finally, I was working at the same company. And what a great, easy intro, right? You just message them on the internal messaging system, say like, hey, I just joined. Would love to meet you and learn about what you're working on. And the cool thing about doing that was I got to meet people across lots of different teams. I met people who were a lot more senior than I was. Like it was such a good opportunity being a newbie. You can really reach out to anybody at any level. And I feel like people are pretty accommodating to that kind of introduction. I met a lot of people who were kind of joining alongside me, but also people who had been at Facebook for years and years and had a lot of context on the company. And it was kind of cool to have those meetings because you got a little bit of a history lesson at the same time. Oh, yeah. Tons of lore. Yeah, yeah, you got the lore of of how Facebook came to be. So I think that's one way to go about this. I suppose remotely you still lack that in-person connection, but I think the point here is like branching outside of your immediate team because I imagine you join a team remotely and that's sort of your little bubble of the company, but you want to get outside that bubble and, and see what else is happening around the broader organization. So another thing that stood out to me from this question was when the anonymous author said it's harder to grasp culture or get on board with a project. And, you know, maybe this is a little bit of a repeat of what I just said about like get outside your direct team's bubble. But you just got to request time with people, especially, you know, PMs and engineers and managers, if you ever feel like you're missing out on context. And I have to remind myself of this all the time is there are new people who are joining GitHub all the time. And they just don't have that context that I have. And, you know, sometimes they'll reach out and be like, hey, I wanted to ask about this thing. I'll be like, oh, wow, I hadn't even thought about what it would even be like to not know that information. And so reach out to people. I think in general, being in that position, even being up front, like, hey, I just joined. I'm remote. I've never met anybody. Can you help me answer some questions? I feel like people will be even more accommodating to have those kinds of conversations and help you out. So, yeah, maybe we can start there. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I I always find it fun to tell people that type of stuff. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we kind of have like a secret code here. And like, this is what these three-letter acronyms mean. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've all just internalized what these things mean, but it's just gibberish to the average person. So like, if if you're in a meeting, I've, I've found it like when I've started and been new, it's been okay to raise your hand and be like, I, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so useful. Like when people raise their hand, especially with acronyms, right? Uh, sorry, what does that acronym mean? It's such a good reminder to just pause and redefine it and make sure everyone's on the same page. Cause yeah, there is generally this fear of not wanting to ask what something means for fear of looking dumb. But my goodness, at least being new is such a good excuse to literally ask anything and, and figure yep. it out. No one will yeah. blame you. And you'll probably put them in a mode for the rest of that meeting whenever they say something that might be one of those three-letter acronyms or something like that. They'll kind of be in a mode to automatically define it so that you don't have to keep asking, what does that mean? What does that mean? Have you found that too? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's like the shorthand exists for a reason, right? Like it makes communication faster. But I think when you have new people joining your team, getting that question the first or the second time, it's like, oh shit, we actually have a responsibility here to make sure we're being, I guess, inclusive would be the word here 
in these kinds of meetings, whether it's a stand-up or, you know, a group, whatever decision-making is like, we need to define acronyms and make sure everyone knows what we're talking about. Because if you let that go on too long where somebody doesn't feel like they have enough context, the Chris then it's Pratt just going to get worse and worse and <laughs> yeah. worse, right? That'll compound. Other things I was thinking of, uh, you know, like large companies, certainly at Meta, you have employees all around the world. And so one thing that has been cool about GitHub, obviously there's people here in San Francisco, but there's folks spread out everywhere. And generally, in my experience, these big companies have little local chapters, local Slack groups, local meetups. Then there's quite often these off-topic Slack channels or, or communication channels for more of like interest alignment. So I know at GitHub, for example, there's like a San Francisco Slack channel, but then there's also random ones like parenting or uh, we have one that's really cool called tool sharpening, which is people asking questions about how to get more value out of the software tools that they use. And I've found value in being in those kinds of channels where you get a little bit of location context and see who's around that might be able to meet whenever people are feeling comfortable COVID-wise. And then on the interest graph side, it's like, again, branching outside of your direct team and recognizing that there's more people that work at the company that would probably be chill to hang out with. Um, you can at least start those conversations now, you know, around some topic or interest. Of course, whenever... This whole pandemic blows over, uh, hopefully get into the world where you can have like mini meetups and stuff. I don't know what's going to happen for big company meetups in a post-COVID world. I feel like that's going to just change for a while. But I got to imagine the mini meetups are coming back. We call them mini summits at GitHub. And we haven't ha I haven't had one in, in years since this all began. I'm really dying for one. Another idea that came to mind after reading this, I'm not sure if this is totally relevant or how this would work for every kind of company. But at GitHub, you know, we have readme files. Like readmes are like the introduction to basically every concept. Every repository has a readme. Profiles on GitHub have readmes. Some people will create like a personal readme within the company that's just an introduction to themselves, talks about their interests, maybe how they like to work. Some people talk about how they review code, how they prefer people to review their code, like getting a little bit, a mix of personal, professional, talk lightheartedly about the quirks of the way you work, that kind of thing. And I've seen that also be a nice tool for getting over that awkward, I don't know, coffee meeting, remote coffee meeting, you know, where you're like, so tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What do you work on? It's like, how about I just write that down and you can read it beforehand and then we can skip over all that bullshit and get to hmm. a question or something more interesting to talk about. Hmm. But then I wouldn't be able to refine my life story. <laughs> you want to you wanna tell the hero's journey of Marshall to every new, new employee? Yeah. Every time I tell it, it gets a little bit better, a little bit tighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beasts I slay are a little bit larger. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, uh, you just don't have to write this document. You can, let every, you can be the mysterious wizard in the tower that people go to for, for <laughs> counsel and wisdom. I'm already the hermit, so I guess it works. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The hermit wizard. <laughs> in the tower there we go okay uh i turned to twitter and yeah. asked folks for their advice for remote onboarding how that's gone if they have things one that stood out in, in a lot of these tweets was just have a buddy just have an onboarding buddy like somebody usually companies will assign these to new hires but if not just find somebody who you can just consistently ask questions ideally someone in the same time zone someone who you can hopefully in the same city like that you might even be able to meet up with at some point 
but just somebody who's going to be there along those those first few months journey, right? Like to answer questions, have context, understand what you're working on, how you're thinking about things. So have a buddy. All right, let's turn to the tweets. So Ulysses Sirksman said, small details matter. Having the new company send you breakfast or something on the first day goes a long way. He continues, focus on networking. The first weeks should be all about knowing the people you work with, why they're important for your role and for the company itself. We also heard from Stu. Stu says, schedule social activities and morning coffee sessions for team building if being in person isn't possible. Knowing your team is one key. Agreed. Renat Kanav says, having one-on-ones with each teammate and daily stand-ups helped me feel like part of a team. Coco Co at ETH Denver says, open door hours. Sometimes it feels like you're bothering someone if you have to have a call or have some questions. But if you have an open hour once or twice a week to talk about anything, it seems to help smooth the landing and get a better connection. Yeah, it's a good one. I forgot to mention. We have, um, we, we just call them water coolers. I think they're like recurring meetings twice a week to accommodate for time zones. And I think they're only 30 minutes, but they're just water cooler chat. Like different people show up every time depending on what they're busy with, if they have meetings or not. And you just shoot the shit. It's like, you can talk about work. It's probably discouraged to talk about work. It's trying to build a little bit more of a outside of work conversation. But uh, I love that. Like having a recurring thing that is available to people. Katie Langerman says, prioritize meeting people. New Slack workspaces can be intimidating, but jumping in and engaging right away will get your name and face out there. Be okay with feeling uncomfortable and extra social for a while as you find your groove. I guess this is advice for introverts. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. Yes, it is. Yep. Good advice. But actually, there is a good point nestled in there, which is like getting your name and face out there, right? Especially in whatever, your product design channel, your team's channel. Like, Make sure people know you exist, right? Yep. Like, don't just be the new hire that's like, oh, wait, what? They joined when? I haven't talked to them. Be out there. Put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're already established, like make yourself available and a great way to let the people who are trying to make themselves available know that you're new is to get yourself out there and start asking some questions. And those who will be willing to answer those questions will make themselves known. Perfect. We also heard from Hamza who shared a link. Hamza says, came across this podcast a while ago on the topic of remote onboarding. Give it a listen and you might find it beneficial. We'll have the link in the show notes that's to a podcast called How to Onboard Remote Employees by Building Remotely. There you go. Parker Gibson says, welcoming new team members by either scheduling one-on-ones for them or suggesting people to meet with. I also use a Miro board to share useful or common resources that I have used. Yeah, that's another one that reminds me of a thing that our managers do at GitHub is when you join, they will create a like big onboarding plan. And part of that onboarding plan has just this big document of like, here are some past interesting design exercises that people have done. Here's an example of a presentation that worked really well. Here's an example of like a really well-organized Figma file. Here's a Figma plugin that someone built. And just kind of like this big link dump, which obviously it's hard. I know that joining a new company is just context overload. But anyways, having like a big document specifically for design, like here's people that have done this. Here's projects that have worked well. I think is pretty cool and also captures a little bit of the history of the organization. It feels like the the first step in the rabbit hole of understanding how that company or product became the way it is today. So thank you for that, Parker. We also heard from Meg Bird. Meg says, buddy system, having a peer to mentor you in the first few weeks helps set up those vital chats and tell you which Slack channels to join makes a huge difference. All right, finally, this is the last tweet we got before uh, initiating our recording. Donna 
Donna says, have an onboarding pal, preferably someone not on your team, have an agenda or outline of what the week will look like or use tools like sapling slash border. New to me. I don't know those. We'll all look them up and set realistic expectations so that folks can learn at their own pace. Yeah. Have, knowing how long the ramp is expected to be when you come into a new company, like, am I supposed to be running at a month or two months, bigger yeah. company, like six months? Just knowing what the expectation is going in is huge. I'll, I'll share this story. I think I've told this on the show a couple times, but maybe it's worth repeating just because I think it's it's a nice example of putting out my own insecurity into the world. But when I first joined Facebook, I remember I had a really rough onboarding, not because of anybody else, but because I was so nervous that I was going to screw it up. I was so nervous that I was going to break Facebook. And I remember the first project I was working on, it was literally just like, where should this button go? <laughs> it's like... I mean, maybe it was slightly more complicated than that, but I just remember agonizing over every, you know, like trying to figure out what was going to be the perfect solution. And eventually I, you know, I had a couple projects go like that. Eventually my manager pulled me aside and he's like, you need to just make calls. Like we can fix stuff. We can iterate on it. It's going to be fine. You got to just get comfortable making calls and shipping stuff. And that was a very meaningful conversation for me that happened probably three or four months into my time at Facebook. So again, it was pretty slow. I had a slow start. But once that clicked, I, I got into the, the groove of things. So anyways, to bring it back to that point, is like having somebody tell you what the expectations are. Like, hey, we actually don't expect you to be at this point until three or four months in, I think would alleviate a lot of stress for people who get a few weeks in. They're like, shit, am I supposed to have like designed something yet? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's our notes on remote onboarding with some hopefully useful advice. Sounds like a lot of this advice was coming from both sides, both as the person being onboarded and also for people onboarding people onto your team. So hopefully this was helpful and I don't know. I guess remote is here to stay, but I really hope that the remote onboarding part will start to go away and we'll have a lot more people being, I don't know, flown out to meet the team in that first week or two. It just makes such a huge difference. But uh, to Anonymous, who asked in our DMs or her, who, who brought up the topic, thank you and yeah. hope this was helpful or interesting in some way. Great question. Thanks for asking it. Okay. Cool things, son? Cool things, Brian. I think you're first this time. Okay. I have a television show for you to watch, Brian, and I love it. I, I binged it. Here we go. It's called Murderville. It's on Netflix. Ooh, have you heard of this? Will Arnett. Okay. So Will Arnett is a grizzled cop, and the premise of the show is that it's a murder mystery. Every episode is a murder mystery, and the whole show is scripted, except there's a guest celebrity who is his <laughs> partner for the episode, and they don't know anything. So... <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So the first partner who comes in is Conan O'Brien. And it was like the perfect person to, to pick for the first episode. He's great. If you like Conan, uh, he does his thing perfectly. And then uh, there's Ken Jong, Annie Murphy, Kumail Nanjiani, Marshawn Lynch. And I think Sharon Stone is, is one of the last ones. So it's only six episodes, but each one is so good. So there's a, a formula, Brian. The celebrity guest will come in and Will Arnett will have like a sit down talk with them, get to know them in his office. And at the end of that, the chief will come in and say, there's been a murder. And then they'll go off to the murder scene where they will collect evidence and come up with three suspects. And then they'll go to each one of those suspects, one of which will be an undercover 
a situation where the celebrity will have a little thing in their ear with Will Arnett telling them everything they have to say for the whole conversation. Um, and then at the okay. end, they're given the choice between each of the three suspects, who they think did it, and then the chief will come in and say whether they got it right or wrong, and then say why and point out all the clues and things that pointed to that person being the murderer, which is one of the coolest things about this is like it's solvable. Like, and it's not even hard. Like, if you're paying halfway attention, you can figure out who did it. That sounds fun. Okay, cool. Where can I watch it? Netflix. Oh, perfect. All right. Yeah. Six episodes. I think it's brand new. It just came out at the beginning of February. So, uh, yeah, January. February 3rd. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Brand new, hot off the presses, and it is good. All righty. Cool. What you got for me, Brian? I have a movie, a film, if you will. Uh, are you a Wes Anderson fan? Uh, I appreciate Wes Anderson. It's it's you know a specific type of food. It's like I don't want it for every meal, but I like the flavor, and every once in a while, it's nice. Yeah. Okay. I think actually you and I are pretty similar in that regard. I haven't. I don't like every Wes Anderson, but I like many of them, and I feel like they come out at the appropriate pace. Where I'm like, you know what? I'm due. I'm due for a <laughs> yeah. good. Just you know. I don't even know how you describe his style. Just like sort of flat, square cut, fast paced, quirky kind of film. Isometric. Yeah. So the the newest Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch, came out the end of last year. Finally got around to watching it this past weekend. I don't know that it is my favorite Wes Anderson, but it's a good Wes Anderson. And one of the reasons it's good, I don't know about you, Marshall. Maybe this is actually kind of tied in with the Murderville thing you just talked about. It's like, there's just so many recognizable people in all of his movies, and a lot of them are repeats. But this one in particular, there's just celeb cameos left and right. Like everybody, like, oh shit, it's that person, that's that person. And some of them are fan favorites. Like, you know, of course, you're going to have Bill Murray and Owen Wilson. But then there's some new people in the Wes Anderson sort of cinematic universe. Like, we get a good Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright's in it, he does great. Uh, I mean, the the cast is packed. There's really, really good people. And so it, it was a fun watch. So it was like the more fast-paced, really had to pay attention to the subtitles kind of movie, whereas some of his past ones are a little bit more slow burn. Um, this one just chugs along. There's It's a good story, but it tells three separate stories, and there's no break in between. It just keeps going. Uh, so anyways, if you're into Wes Anderson, I think it's uh, definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I saw the trailer. It it looked like the most Wes Anderson-y Wes Anderson <laughs> I've ever seen. It might be. It might yeah. be. Yeah. Well, we have uh, some some watching homework for, for people. There you go. Yeah. Many hours of good television, Brian. All right. Well, let's get out of here. This is it. This has been episode 429 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you didn't enjoy it, how dare you? <laughs> no, for real. Hit us up. We love to hear feedback. DM us on Twitter. Or uh, if you have a topic you'd want us to discuss in a future episode that might be interesting as well, please, uh, you can DM us and we'll bring that up anonymously. Or you can open an issue on our GitHub, github.com slash design details slash design details. Otherwise, please consider heading to patreon.com slash design details. Support the show for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And uh, get access to that bonus episode, the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. This week's sidebar. We're talking about designing that little score nubbin that floats on top of sports games, which actually has a name that Marshall will reveal next. Ooh. See you in the sidebar. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye. 
you know, you get to the point where you're comfortable enough with your day-to-day work that you can kind of peer outside the org. Totally agree. Peer at your peers, Brian. Peer at your peers. Ooh, I like that. It's kind of creepy though, actually. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I guess that'd be more like leer at your peers. Stalk your peers? <laughs> Less creepy, more creepy. M- more, yeah. 